Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Due North, where we are seeking to navigate life and theology using the compass of uh, God's Word. I'm joined today. I'm Ben Blakey. This is uh, Josiah Smith. And the question on the table today is, why is the doctrine of the Trinity Mm. important? So let's start here. What is the Trinity? How do we explain that to somebody? And again, if if God's word is our compass, what is the Trinity and how does God's word point us to that conclusion? Yeah. So in the opening pages of scripture, really the opening words of scripture, we are introduced to God as this unity in plurality, which is a bit confusing from our perspective as humans, but really the doctrine of the Trinity is the distinctly Christian doctrine that God exists three in one. So Pastor Mike, our sending church pastor, he likes to say, bad math equals good theology. And I think that's a great way to say that because we believe uh, that God eternally exists three in one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, They are uh, distinct in person, but they're one in nature and in essence. So uh, in summary, that's really the doctrine of the Trinity. Right. And so, I mean, if I pull up my Bible app and search doctrine of Trinity, like what verses are going to, what, what verses are going to tell me about the Trinity? Yeah. So full disclosure, I mean, you're not going to find the word Trinity in the Bible, which for some people, it gets a little you know, yeah. confusing, but you, you really find the, the concepts and the truth of the Trinity all throughout the scripture. Right. So even in Genesis one, which we just referenced, God says, let us make man in our image. There's the unity in plurality. And if you even skip forward to the New Testament in the Great Commission, yep. who are we to baptize in the name of? The Father, right. the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, so, so again, there it is right there. Yeah. Not the word Trinity, but you see in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So again and again and again, we even in Ephesians 1, we have salvation being Trinitarian. Uh, right. All throughout the scriptures, we have uh, just this, this unity and plurality, God eternally existing as one God, uh, but three in one. Bad math, but great theology. Right. And you use language of three in person, one in nature or essence, and you're not the one that came up with those words. There are centuries and centuries of Christians using those words to explain what the Bible teaches. Yeah. Uh, Because even, I mean, another corresponding issue here, you think of the deity of Christ. Like that is something we could go to John 1, Colossians 1, Mm. Philippians 2, a lot of places. Uh, There's like a mountain of scriptures we would go to to point to the deity of Christ. Well, how does that work if Jesus is God, the Father is God, but Mm. Jesus is not the Father. And that's what leads us to these, uh, I think, biblical explanations. And this isn't like eschatology where, you know, a lot of things people are teaching today, you know, really explanations have come up in the last couple centuries. This is a long time of uh, the church being united in even some of these terms as as ways to describe uh, the Trinity. Now, why do Christians, many Christians, perhaps think about the Trinity not very much or not as highly as they should? Because we are simple-minded people. <laughs> and it is a complex doctrine. So not to insult anyone out there, but we... we well, it's... just I, I guarantee you that this will not get as many listens as some of our other episodes <laughs> already on this podcast. I'm just going to go out and say it because people see Doctrine of the Trinity. It's not like, oh yeah, I need to know that. Yeah, it's, it's complicated. It's hard to wrap our minds around. And, and typically when something makes our head throb a little bit, we we tend to avoid it. So I'd say that's one of the, maybe the primary reasons we, we don't fully uh, understand, okay, three in one. It just, it does 
doesn't mm-hmm. make sense mm-hmm. from us. It's much like the whole conversation of free will versus God's sovereignty. It's kind of like our head starts to go, these things from an earthly perspective don't quite add up. Right. Um, so again, bad math, but good theology. Right. And so our head can kind of get in the way sometimes of, of really uh, wrestling with this in ways that we should. Another thing that I would say is some people, a lot of people that neglect the Trinity, they don't really understand the theological implications mm-hmm. of the Trinity, which we'll get to in a second, but we don't fully understand what's at risk yes. if we don't believe this, right? You had said, this is ancient doctrine. Right. This is not uh, some of the newly minted doctrines of our day. This is as old as doctrine gets, and it's been held firmly and really fought for throughout the life and history of the church. Uh, and so sometimes we don't fully understand what's at risk. We don't understand the theological implications. And even from a practical standpoint, it can be easier for us to really wrap our heads around the person of Jesus. And, yeah. and obviously I want to exalt the name of Jesus, don't want to yes. diminish that in yes. any way, but it can be easier to think and conceive of Jesus because he was a man and, and still has a body sitting Literally at the more right tangible. hand. He's yeah, is a, a man. We yeah. can think of him in similar ways to ourselves because mm-hmm. God took on flesh. That's yes. what John tells us in John one that the Word became flesh. So I think it's simpler to really focus our our mental even energy or our thoughts or our worship even towards the person of Jesus because it's it's easier to sort of understand. Though there's complexities with with. Christology, it's like, okay, Jesus was a man. We get yeah. that. So sometimes we can do that to the detriment of the Father and the Spirit. Yes. Uh, when really it's God is three and one. And we want to make sure that we understand that to the best of our ability. So help us to understand more. I mean, why is then the doctrine of the Trinity important? We've been talking about why people maybe don't think about it as much as they should now give us the flip side. Why should they think more about the doctrine of the Trinity? Yeah, a couple things. I mean, the main thing that I would start with is that salvation is wholly Trinitarian. So you could rightly say that if there is no Trinity, there is no salvation. I mean, the stakes are high. Right. when we think about, okay, the father is the architect of salvation. Uh, he Obviously, he's intricately involved, even from the foundation of the world, Paul tells us in Ephesians 1. Uh, but how does he accomplish salvation? He sends the son right. to accomplish salvation, to live. Uh, God, the son, took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died. He became sin, who knew no sins, so that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, so the son accomplishes salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension. And then the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, he applies salvation. Mm-hmm. So if you ask, okay, how do we get born again? How are we regenerated? How do we become followers of Christ? It's the work of the Spirit. So salvation end to end is wholly Trinitarian. And so yes. if we want to have salvation, uh, we need the Trinity. And it's only made possible because of the Trinity. Uh, so I think that's a big one that I would start with. And then I would also even couple with that, that the Trinity distinguishes God as the one true God. Yes. There's countless religions out there, countless beliefs of who God is. Uh, and the Trinity distinguishes God from every other false God. That yeah. The God of the Bible, the God that the Israelites in Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? Yep. We want to believe in one God. We're yep. monotheists here at Compass. Mm-hmm. We're not 
polytheists. We don't believe in multiple gods. We believe in one God. Uh, And so the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, distinguishes God as the true God according to uh, the scriptures. So in that sense, the Trinity helps make sense of the Bible. When we yes. look at a variety of different passages that speak of the, the person of the spirit, the person of the son, the person of the father, all in sort of the same uh, paragraph, even right. how do we make sense of that? Well, the Trinity helps us to, to do that. Right. And if you think about some of the things you're saying, I mean, if you're a Christian, you should want to know God. Yes. And so you should care because you, you want to know God. And that's yeah. what, you know, we Call theology. That's the study of God. And then you talked about salvation. Uh, the theological term for that is soteriology, right? Mm-hmm. We, we don't know theology without the Trinity. Right. We, we're not going to understand soteriology without the Trinity. And those things then will lead to what we call doxology, yep. uh, which is really mm-hmm. worship yeah. and glorifying God. And you mentioned earlier Ephesians 1. It's, it's a passage, verses 3 through 14 is this one glorious run-on yeah. sentence in the Greek. The ruby and of, it's, of salvation, right, it's been it, called. It's very Trinitarian. Yeah. I mean, let's just read a little bit of it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, yeah. who, the, the Father, has blessed us in Christ, the Son, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, mm-hmm. even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, I, I mean, I don't know. Do you think people should think more about the reality that they are being blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. By the Father, through the Son. Exactly. Yes. That's, and then at the end of the passage, it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy, Holy Spirit, Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So mm. there should be a very Trinitarian dimension to our our worship yes. and then our understanding of the, the person's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what they have accomplished in, yeah. in bringing glory yeah. and wonder for what they have done or what God has done for us. Yeah. Um, so if that's some of why it's important, okay, if we try to understand rightly Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God is three in one, what are some wrong ways mm. that people try to explain that or even wrong beliefs people have about that. Right. Really where you go wrong with any doctrine, but especially the doctrine of the Trinity, is when you try to fashion God in your own likeness. Mm -hmm. And some of these explanations of God uh, are just that. They're trying to make sense from a human finite perspective of something that is beyond us, three in one, right? Bad math, good theology. Uh, so one of the ways that they've tried to do this in the past, and even to this day with certain religions, is is what's referred to as modalism, mm-hmm. uh, where God is acting in different modes. And so an illustration of that is like water, right? You've got yeah. liquid, you've got solid, like you've got vapor, right? All of those things. And there are different modes of the That's same. Modalism. Yeah. The different modes. There. There's a video plug there for you. Yes. You can find that in the uh, the internet. If you know, you know. You know. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, so it's different modes. And so in the Old Testament, God yeah. the Father, right, was seen as the creator. In the New Testament, Jesus is the redeemer. Uh, and then now in the age that we're in, the spirit is kind of the applier of those things. But he's acting in modes. And yeah. we would say, okay, no, that's that's not true. Uh, there is what's often called in theology, um, the whole concept of God operating within himself. So it's mm-hmm. inseparable operations, yeah. meaning he always acts in unity. It's not yes. just the father off to the side and the son off to the side and the right. spirit off to the side. They're inseparable in everything yeah. that they do, uh, even salvation, which is what we've been mm-hmm. talking about. So that's one wrong way, modalism. The other one is tritheism, which we kind of made mention of. We're not 
uh, polytheists, multiple. Yeah. We are one God believing, like we believe in one God, that yeah. there's one God. Because uh, the Bible says that there's yeah. one God. So tritheism is that there are three distinct beings, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, so even a modern day example of this is the, the Latter-day Saints. They they would say uh, that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are distinct beings, that they're uh, perhaps one in their purpose and in their mission, uh, but in terms of being, they are three distinct and separate beings, yeah. which we would say, okay, flag on the play, here yep. Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, right? right? What is the simplest understanding of one? That there's yes. no more than one. Yes. Uh, though three in one, bad math, good theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that, those two things are probably one of the primary uh, Trinitarian heresies that we see even from a modern perspective. Right. And that's where hopefully then people start to also see the importance of it, obviously yeah. for salvation, but there's an importance for this in evangelism and understanding mm-hmm. others and, and combating, right? The, the early church thought so much about this because there were big controversies about this. Yeah. A lot of American Christians have never really had to think much about right. this. I heard one teacher say a, a lot of Americans are more Trinitarian by tradition than they are by conviction. It's because, mm. well, you saying that God is three in one is probably not new to a lot of people sure. listening to this, and that's yeah. what they grew up hearing. So it's like, okay, I, I believe that, but that's never really been challenged mm. to force them to dig into the Bible right. to say, well, wait, why do I believe this? But sometimes it's, well, when you have a Mormon neighbor or you're sharing the gospel and yeah. you're like, wait, you believe what about Jesus? It forces you to get into the Bible. And yeah. when you do that, you're going to realize you're Trinitarian by yeah. conviction. Also, modalism, that's a term maybe some people aren't familiar with, but there are pretty prominent expressions of that even in the church, especially kind of within Pentecostalism, not yeah. all oneness Pentecostals, theology. but yeah, this this idea of people here, oneness, uh, that's mm-hmm. modalism yeah. in, dressed up in its current uh, form today. So if those are wrong ways to explain mm-hmm. uh, the relationships even within the Godhead, what are right ways to yeah. understand and, and think about this. Well, this is where we need to buckle up a little bit because from our mental capacities, this is where the wheels start to fall off the wagon a yeah. little bit because it is it is complex. And we're, we're trying to describe an infinite God, right? an eternal God from a finite perspective. Right? So you're always kind of at a disadvantage, so to speak. Right? Exactly. Where the finite is trying to wrap their head but around. But I'd infinite. encourage you, hey, hang with us here because right. you're going to explain some things, but then you'll see, you'll end right back at some of the places we've been of why this is important. Right. So we want to talk about the relations within the Trinity. And one of the fancy terms for that is intra-Trinitarian relations. Mm-hmm. So how does the Father relate to the Son and how do the Father and the Son relate to the Spirit? And even relations of origin is, yeah. is what they're called. Uh, not origin in time. Right. That's that another word that of. trips us up because we right. think you and I, we had a beginning. Father, Son, Spirit, no beginning. Yes. So they're divine origin mm-hmm. and they are of eternal origin, which again, in our minds, it's like, okay, origin means there's a beginning, but there is no beginning. Right. Like th- This has always been the case. And so really those are talked about in theology as processions. There's two mm-hmm. primary processions. Uh, the first one is the father, really uh, the son proceeding from the father. And the technical phrase for that is eternal generation. So you might be thinking, okay, well, where do we get this phrase eternal generation? Because right. that even kind of implies like friction generates heat. Yeah, right, like, right, right, right. All that We're kind of stuff. We're bringing our understanding to that, yeah. So the Gospel of John, which is highly Christological, yes. arguably the most Christological gospel in, in all of the scriptures, uh, John five twenty six says, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son 
also to have life in mm-hmm. himself. So the father has granted the son life. So that's where we get the word, even the original language, the word generation. Yeah. Uh, so it's not the father creating the son. Nope. Uh, it, it's a divine origin, uh, an eternal relation where the son proceeds from the father. He's eternally generated by right. the father. And I just want people to notice there how like this term is coming from ideas in the text, right? right? We want to always go back to the Bible. You're pointing us to the Gospel of John, and also it's just relating to the words Father and Son, which where are we getting those from? Oh, yeah, the Bible. Yeah. Even in those terms alone, Father and Son says something about the intra-Trinitarian relations. Uh, So if we start with the Father, the Father is characterized by paternity in relationship to the Son. He is the Father of the Son. And in eternity past, he was and yep. continues to be the father of the son. That has never not been. Yes. Uh, the son is characterized by eternal generation. That's what we just talked about in John 5, 26, that the father grants the son, the person of the divine son, uh, and he eternally generates from the father. And then the Holy Spirit is really characterized by eternal procession, or if you want a bonus word, eternal spiration, which mm. means breathe out uh, from the father and the son together. He is proceeding eternally from the Father and the Son. So you think of verses like John 14, 26 and John 15, 26, and mm-hmm. those are easy to, to remember because of 14, 26, yep. 15, 26, just one chapter after another. Uh, but one of those, Jesus says, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. Yep. And then in the next chapter, he says, well, I, together with the Father, am going to send the Spirit. Uh, So we would believe that the way that they have a a unique personhood is that the Son uniquely uh, is granted his personhood directly from the Father, and the Spirit is granted, so to speak, or proceeds or spirates his personhood from the Father and the Son Mm -hmm. together, making it unique. And so some of those uh, relationships are Again, difficult to understand, but they're of eternal origin. They're of divine origin. They didn't happen in time. They've always been that way. Now, this connects, and this is really, it gets a little bit more practical to what's referred to as temporal missions. So the Trinity has always been. There, there's never been a time in the existence of existing <laughs> that the Trinity has not been the Trinity, that there wasn't the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But there has been things that the Trinity has done in time yes. from a temporal perspective. And that's what we're saying, temporal missions. And so uh, my professor at Southern, his name is Greg Allison, he, he defines it this way. He says, a mission is a divine operation that takes place in our created world for our sake. And there's really two temporal missions that we see the Trinity yeah. doing. It's The first one is the Father sending the Son to accomplish salvation, yes. which we believe wholeheartedly happens, right? Paul says, if Christ did not resurrect from the dead, right. we should be pitied of Well, and even all. these are the things we sell. I mean, we celebrate Christmas every yeah. year. We celebrate Easter. We're celebrating one of these missions yeah. or the incarnation of Christ and then his death and resurrection. Yeah. So I, mission one is the father sending the son to accomplish salvation. And mission two is the father and the son together sending mm-hmm. the spirit to apply salvation, which is what we touched on earlier. And really, you can think about it this way. Temporal missions are relations within the Trinity turned outside and in yes. time for the sake of us image bearers that are sinful and fallen. So these relationships of divine origin between the Father and the Son, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, uh, a temporal mission is one of those relations turned outside of itself, so to speak, in time so that we can have salvation accomplished through Christ and salvation applied Mm -hmm. by the Spirit. Yeah. So we've covered a lot of ground, but I hope people see there at the end, like, again, this is coming back to our salvation, right? The accomplishing of our salvation, the application of our salvation, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If people want to dig deeper, because I doubt we've 
answered everybody's questions sure. in the last 20 minutes. If people want to dig deeper, what are some other resources that might be helpful for them? Yeah, one book that I would recommend, and it's really palatable, meaning yes. it's not dense, it's not uh, super technical, there's not a lot of mention of original languages, but it's called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. Now, this yes. is a fantastic book, mm-hmm. and really... What he's trying to do is what you made mention of earlier, is he's trying to get us to get to a place of doxology as right. we think about and ponder the Trinity. So even here on the back, he says, why is God love? Because God is Trinity. Why can we be saved? Because God is Trinity. How can we live the Christian life? How are we enabled to mm-hmm. do that? He says, through the Trinity. So this is a great book. It really just is a doxological uh, encouragement of right. think about the Trinity, dwell on the Trinity, and be encouraged and worship more as you uh, think and dwell on those right. things. And now you have taught some classes and are teaching some classes recently that touch on this topic. You just taught a class on the Holy Spirit, and now you're teaching a class on Christology mm-hmm. in Compass Classroom at our church. Where can people find, if they're not attending those classes, where can people find that? Yeah, so you you can even find them on our YouTube channel. Yep. Uh, if you type in Compass Bible Church TV and you hit playlist, there's a Compass Classroom playlist there mm-hmm. that talks about the Holy Spirit. Uh, you can go on our website as well, compassbible.tv. Under the ministries tab, there is Compass Classroom, and yep. you can see view recorded classes, and uh, previous classes, and, and you can find them there as well with the note sheets uh, for an added bonus. There you go. So thanks for joining us. I hope that you uh, have learned something today. I hope also this inspires you to worship and appreciate your salvation. Uh, you can find more resources, like Pastor Josiah said, on our website, or you can go to revivalfromthebible.com. So until next time, praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost.